Uh, so today we're wrapping up our Divine Emotions series where we've been looking at emotions the Bible tells us God has toward us. So the, so the Bible tells us a lot of things about how God feels about us. And so that's what this series has been about. And we've seen several things. We have seen that God loves us. Not just in a choosing sort of a way, not just in a, hey, I'm going to stay committed to them even though they're kind of an unreliable group of people sort of way, but that God actually feels love for us. God has loving feelings toward us. We also found that God is jealous for us. We found that God is compassionate toward us. And last week, we dealt with the fact that God experiences anger on our behalf. He gets angry about anything that compromises what is in our best interest. And today we're going to wrap up the series by looking at two places in Scripture that let us know God experiences joy because of us. That we can actually be the reason that God experiences the emotion of joy. Now we know that God is complete in himself. He doesn't depend on us for joy. It's not as if if we didn't provide God joy, he would be a sad, lonely God. It's not like that. He is complete within himself. He experiences joy within the Godhead. But with that noted, it is absolutely true that God feels joy because of us. God delights in us. And so I want to go directly to today's passages. The first one we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Actually, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Uh, It may only be two on the screen behind me because I think that's all I gave them, Uh, but we're going to read the first two. Now, these verses are set in the context of an encouragement to keep on persevering even when life is difficult. But within this encouragement to persevere, we see something that brings joy to God. So here's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we learn in this passage that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. He continued to despise, to scorn the shame that he needed to go through, but it was for the joy that was ahead of him that he endured that. And the joy that was set before him was everything that was going to result from his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And We know that what resulted from those things, what resulted from his death and resurrection was the redemption of mankind. And so what we see in this passage is that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured this, and that joy was the redemption of mankind. We learn that the redemption of mankind brings God joy knowing that he's going to be with his redeemed people forever and ever brings God joy. Now that's the main thing that I want you to see from Hebrews 12. But while we're here, let's note that Jesus gives us a great example 
of how to endure difficulty and suffering well. One of the keys to enduring suffering well is to learn to look to a time beyond the suffering. Well, one of the keys to persevering through difficulty is to be future-minded, to be a futurist, if you will, to look into the future for a better day. Like Christ, we can endure trials that come our way by focusing on the joy that is ahead of us, even when the present doesn't seem all that joyful. And that's why it's so important for Christians to live in the light of eternity, why it's so important for Christians to live with eternity in mind. You know, there's been a critique in the church for, it's been hanging on for quite a few years now that that, uh, says, you know what, let's just not worry about heaven. Let's just not worry about eternity. Let's just focus on the here and now. Eternity will get here when it gets here. And I understand why that's said, but it's a bit of a misguided thing because it is a view of eternity that is supposed to help us persevere now and actually is supposed to motivate us for Christian service. Eternity does that. You know, I don't know about you, but here's one of the things that I uh, learn over and over and over again. Life is hard. Can I get a witness? Now, life is great. I love life. I'm not choosing anything different. But life is hard. Life throws a lot of difficult stuff at us. And the way the scripture lets us know, one of the ways scripture lets us know we can persevere is by focusing, like Jesus did, on the joy that's coming in the future. When Christ returns and all of the wrongs that have ever been committed are made right, and the redeemed from every nation on earth live in peace forever and ever with their Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Yes, it is. It's an amazing thought. (laughs) Whatever your trouble, if you're in Christ, if you belong to him, you have a joy-filled future that God has prepared for you. Much like an athlete will endure very difficult training by focusing on the victory that they are trusting the training will help them achieve. We can endure difficulty in life by focusing on the joy ahead that God has promised to everyone who believes in him and perseveres in faith. And so from Hebrews 12, we learn that we can endure difficulty better by focusing on the joy ahead of us And we learn that the redemption of mankind brings God joy. And then what we see on the macro level in Hebrews 12, we see on the micro level in Luke 15. There are three parables in Luke 15, and I want to briefly consider the first two. The first one is of the lost sheep. And we read about it in verses 4 through 7. Here's what they say. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. One lost sheep. One lost sheep found. The shepherd rejoices. And then Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. One lost sinner. One lost sinner repents. Heaven erupts in rejoicing. The redemption of mankind brings God joy. And then we see here in Luke that the salvation of one single person brings God joy. That's an amazing thought. After the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin. It's found in verses 8 through 10. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus tells us again the meaning of the parable. Different parable, same lesson. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So one lost coin, one lost coin found, the woman rejoices. One lost sinner, one lost sinner repents. Heaven erupts in rejoicing. And so the redemption of mankind brings God joy and the repentance, the salvation of one single person brings God joy. See, God sees the end from the beginning and so so God sees into the future. And he sees as if it is now the throngs of redeemed humanity around his throne in eternity. And that brings God joy. And then as each individual person turns to him in faith, that individual's salvation brings God joy. But there's something that we have to notice here. Heaven's rejoicing is contingent on something very specific. Heaven's rejoicing is contingent upon sinners repenting. As Jesus explains in both of these parables, he says the same thing in each, heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Bad news, heaven is not partying over sinners. Heaven loves sinners. God loves sinners. But there is no party over sinners. God is not looking down from heaven saying, look at that sinning they're doing. They are so awesome. And they're kind of cute. I mean, look at them. They're really kind of cute in all of this sinning they're doing. I just take such a pleasure in them. God's not doing that. There's there's no rejoicing in heaven over sin or sinners. 
When heaven erupts in a party, when God gets joy, it is when a sinner repents. Repentance is when we turn away from our sin and we turn toward God. Repentance is when we agree with God that he is right and we are wrong. Repentance is when we remove ourselves from the throne of our lives and we yield the throne back to its rightful occupant, God. Salvation is a free gift available to everyone. But the Bible is very clear that in order to receive this free gift, we must turn from our sin and turn toward God. We must repent. And it is then and only then that heaven parties. It is when a sinner repents that heaven erupts in rejoicing. The redemption of mankind brings God joy. The repentance of one sinner, the salvation of one single person brings God joy. All of you here today who have turned away from sin and turned toward God, all of you who have been willing to agree with God that he is right and you are wrong, all of you who have removed yourself from the throne of your life, and by the way, this is something we have to do over and over again, because we tend to kind of like claw ourselves back up onto the throne. So we have to do this over and over again. But those of you who have removed yourself from the throne of your life and you have enthroned God on the throne of your life. God. The God who created everything that is rejoices over you. You bring God joy. When you repented... Your repentance brought God joy. Bill Brown, you bring God joy. Sandy Marringer, you bring God joy. I'm freaking y'all out because I've never called people out before. (laughs) George Norton, you bring God joy. Marlene Spangler, you bring God joy. Wendy Carmen, you bring God joy. Rob Sexton, you bring God joy. Nathan, you bring God joy. Shirley Douglas, you bring God joy. Jana Brandon, you bring God joy. Scott Kammeyer, you bring God joy. Well, I'd, I'd keep going, but it would take a while. God gets joy because of individuals who turn away from their sin and turn toward him. And those of you here today who have not yet done this, but you have been considering turning to Christ in faith. You, you have been considering walking away from the sin and walking toward God. I want you to know that when you do that, you are going to be the cause 
of God experiencing joy. He will have joy because of you. Isn't it really, I mean, if we allow this to sink in, it's a pretty incredible thought. You know, to think that the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who understands all of the mysteries of the universe, actually feels joy because of one single person that turns to him in faith. That God can actually feel joy because of you. I don't know about you, but for me, I I can very easily start to feel like, you know, just a little speck of unimportance in the grand scheme of things. I, I say to Michelle, almost anywhere we go outside of our own, you know, couple of square miles here in Pataskala, I, I see all the life that's going on in, you know, other places, and she thinks this is just the goofiest thing that I, one of the goofier things that I do, but I'm always saying, there's a lot of people in the world, and there are a lot of people in the world, you know, I go to a different part of Columbus, and I see a housing development I've never seen before, you know, hundreds and hundreds of houses, Houses that I cannot afford. <laughs> and I, I think, how do that many people afford a house I can't? What is wrong with me? But, but the bigger thought I have is just the sheer number of people. And then I have thoughts like this. Well, this is one neighborhood in Columbus or a suburb of Columbus. These are literally everywhere. There are hundreds of these neighborhoods and Columbus is just one little place in Ohio. This is repeated over and over and over again throughout the country. New York City. And I think New York City is tiny compared to Mexico City. Tiny compared to Beijing. All of those people on this little tiny planet. The, what is it? The third rock from the sun. In this remote part of the universe. And if I'm not careful, I can start to feel pretty doggone insignificant. And yet the scripture comes to us and tells us that the God who spoke all of that into existence and understands all the mysteries of the universe is number one, aware of me. And number two, gets joy because of me. Isn't that amazing? It is so amazing. Every person in here who has turned to Christ in faith, you have brought joy to God. And I pray that that truth sinks deep into your spirit today. Today, God is excited, and I'm excited, because we are baptizing 10 people this morning. (laughs) 10 people 
who have received Christ as Savior and Lord, 10 people who have repented, they've said, I'm going to turn away from sin and I'm going to turn toward God. Today, God is rejoicing because of these 10 people. And so we're going to go right now into our baptisms, understanding what we've seen in the scripture today, that God rejoices over every single person. We're going to baptize these folks knowing that God is rejoicing and we're going to rejoice as well. For each one of you who are being baptized today, I want to just reiterate what I've said in this message that God is very aware of you today. God sees what is happening in this little room in Pataskala. God is aware of you. And today you, each of you being baptized, you are bringing joy to the heart of God.